It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As I go out and about, people come up and they ask me all sorts of questions about Wisconsin and national politics. And one of the questions I've been asked most frequently is, who is it out there that you think has a chance to defeat Tammy Baldwin in the elections over a year from now? And a subset of that, matter of fact, I heard this from three different people on Monday, was Leah Vukmir, you know, the state senator from Brookfield. When's she going to get in the race? Well, we now have the answer, and we are joined by State Senator Leah Vukmir. Leah, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. So yesterday you had made the big announcement. You're running for Tammy Baldwin's seat. Yes, I made the big announcement. I'm very excited to throw my hat in the ring. It's something that I have been thinking about for a long time. I've had countless people approach me since the November election asking me to step up and take on Tammy. And I had some work to do in Madison, you know, that little budget thing. And now that I've completed my work on the Joint Finance Committee, I felt it was time for me to jump in. Leah, why do you want to be a U.S. Senator? Well, you know, Jeff, I think we've reached a real critical point in D.C., and as we look at things that happen over and over again in votes, we need another consistent conservative voice in the U.S. Senate so Republicans can honor the promises they made the last election cycle. And this is what people know about me here in Wisconsin. I have a proven, tested conservative record. My legislative experience has given me the skills to accomplish what we've set out to do. I've stopped conservatives from backsliding when they've needed it, negotiated with my college colleagues, and we've achieved policy wins. And when I travel the state of Wisconsin, that's what I hear from people. They want that same work ethic applied to Washington, D.C., and I'd love to take those skills and that experience so I can hit the ground running. I think that's very important. We need somebody who can hit the ground running, and I believe that is me. Um, we're talking to State Senator Leah Vukmir. Leah, you've been in, you started off your career in the Assembly in 2002, um, State Senate since 2011. During that period of time, what would you say is your greatest legislative achievement, the thing that you are proudest of that was accomplished when you were in the legislature? Well, I'm going to have to give you two because it's sort of before Act 10 and after Act 10. Uh, before Act 10, I would have to say it was lifting the cap on the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program. I had a bird's-eye view of the program as it developed in the beginning. You know, I was a young mom concerned about educational issues. That's what got me into politics in the first place. But then to have been in the legislature and to have had the privilege of leading that bill through the legislative process so that more children were given the opportunity to attend the schools of their choice. You may remember this. It was during the Doyle years. It was a very difficult bill to maneuver and negotiate, but I was pretty excited to have helped get that across the finish line, even though I knew that there were so many other people before me that had led the charge. I was very fortunate to take it across the finish line. And then after I got into the Senate, I would have to say, hands down, it is the Act 10 legislation that truly has been transformative. It began a series of bold reforms that the governor and our state legislature have enacted that have put Wisconsin on the map, literally. And quite frankly, I think it, the reason we are talking about Foxconn coming here today is because of the efforts that our governor and our legislature together rolled up our sleeves and were able to achieve. Leah, if you are elected in November of 2018, sworn in in January of 2019, what do you anticipate being your top legislative priority? And I understand a lot of stuff can change over the course of the next year. 
Sure. Right now, I would tell you that the repeal and replacement of Obamacare is a number one priority. I hope we don't have to wait until 2018 for that to happen. But I certainly, or 2019, I, I would hope that um, I would, that would be a top priority. And unquestionably, it is so important that we tackle that issue. Obamacare is spiraling out of control, and we need to address that issue. Uh, the other issues that are vitally important to me are tax reform, regulatory reform, and then homeland security, security and immigration reform. I think these are the issues that, that aren't my issues. These are the issues that I hear from people as I travel across the great state of Wisconsin. I, I ask you this next question simply because I know you will be asked about this constantly by the media, because that's what Paul Ryan and Glenn Grothman and Ron Johnson tell me happens. Uh, obviously, um, President Trump is, is a dominant force, and I, I know you're going to be asked questions every time he says or does something about how you react to that. What sort of job do you think President Trump is doing? And if you're elected, how do you anticipate your working relationship with him is going to be? Well, I believe that President Trump has um, he got elected for a reason. People are really connected with him, and I still believe that, that that message that he has is out there as I travel across the state of Wisconsin. People have been tired of the same old, same old politician who sits on their hands and doesn't say it like it is. Do I agree with everything that the president says or does? Absolutely not. And But I do believe that, you know, we have to respect the office, and he is currently that president. I believe it's very important for us, though, to surround uh, him with people who have a good understanding of the various policy issues and to have a strong, uh, strong members in both the House and the Senate to be able to get serious reform done. So, again, I, he, he's a very interesting person. I don't think any of us thought at the beginning of the primary season for the presidential last cycle that he was going to emerge, but certainly he has captured the hearts and minds of a lot of people across our nation. And so I, I look forward to the opportunity of uh, learning firsthand what he's like uh, when you deal with him in D.C. Leah, for people who haven't been tuned into politics or just starting to come back to politics after the last election cycle. Clearly, you, you and your potential opponent, Tammy Baldwin, are about as far apart on a lot of issues as people can get. Um, if you had to identify two or three what I would call voting issues, things that really would be different if Leah Vukmir were the U.S. senator as opposed to Tammy Baldwin, what, what would those two or three top issues be? Well, certainly... Tammy Baldwin doesn't really represent our values. She has no record to stand on. She hasn't been listening to our calls to change the way Washington works. In fact, she is the problem. She is Washington. And people tell me all the time that they believe that she is is toned up. Now, my record is clearly different. I have listened to the people in my district when they have brought issues and problems to me. I have sat down with them, problem-solved, come up with solutions, and then got them through the legislative process. And in many times on a bipartisan basis, I'm a member of leadership. And sometimes when you're a member of leadership, people say you can never think straight again. Uh, but I have pushed my leadership, even as a member of leadership. I don't see Tammy Baldwin doing that. Tammy Baldwin stands shoulder to shoulder with you know Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren. She doesn't push them at all, other than to push them more to the left. So I think there isn't more uh, a more clear contrast between Tammy Baldwin and myself. I'm a person who will go to Washington and do things, 
not go to Washington and say things. And that's what Tammy Baldwin does. I'm getting a number of, while we're talking, I'm just getting a number of emails and, and texts. I, obviously, one of the, the things that political junkies focus on is, is the horse race aspect of this. It costs a fortune to run for political office in general. As I know you know, whether it's as an assembly person or a state senator or now a, a U.S. senator, um, are you going to have enough money to do that? You're obviously not going to be self-funding like perhaps some other candidates might be. This race is definitely going to require millions of dollars, and I am ready and have already begun the process of raising money. I know that I can do it. You know, people thought in 2010 when I took on an incumbent Democrat senator, if you recall that race, it was the seat that flipped the balance of power in the state Senate the year that Governor Walker was elected. No one thought that I could raise the money that time, and I certainly surpassed all expectations that time. Look, people know I'm a hard worker. People know that I connect. And I roll up my sleeves and I work hard. I truly am full on retail when it comes to this because it's very important to um, be with the people. I love it. It's it's not that I feel like I have to do it. I enjoy it because if you know my history, Jeff, that's how I got started. I, you know, I began being concerned about an educational issue in my daughter's classroom, and that got me off my couch and got me into a a local Republican headquarters where I picked up a phone, I picked up a clipboard, started doing doors. So I understand the importance of, you know, connecting with people because I did it there at the first, uh, at the very earliest level, and I watched leaders before me. Scott Walker was my state representative, and it was his seat that I took in, in the state assembly when he became a Milwaukee County executive. So not only do I know the importance of it, I, I enjoy it. It is, it is truly I think the, one of the most important parts of being an elected official, and sometimes people forget that, but that's why I've tried to knock on doors even on years that I've not been up for election. Well, um, Lee, I have a number of people actually texting me saying they're excited that you're in the race and they're even offering to volunteer on your campaign. So um, best of luck as you start out this journey, and I'm sure we're going to be talking a number of times as we move forward over the course of the next several months. Well, thanks, Jeff. And you can just direct them to com, and they, I would be very excited to uh, have their help. Thank you so much. Good enough. Take care. Leah Vukmir, best of thanks, luck. Jeff. Sure. Leah Vukmir, state senator, throwing her hat in the ring to run for the Republican nomination. Um, there are, with, with Leah's entry, there are, are two, I, I think, generally recognized front-running candidates. Leah would be one. Kevin Nicholson, who we talked to when he got in the race a month or so ago, uh, uh, would be another. Um, there, there's one or two other candidates who really, I, I don't think, at least in my opinion right now, are starting to, to break through. But um, And then there might be a couple others that join the race as well. But Leah Vukmir, very well known to voters in southeastern Wisconsin, a proven conservative who certainly adds a very important voice to this campaign. I am thrilled to see her getting in the race. It is 846. When we come back, it's three big things. Stick around. It's 850. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, big story number one. Um, it is capturing the attention, certainly, of the nation and perhaps the world. Hurricane Irma heading towards Miami. Right now, it is a Category 4 hurricane. The categories are based on how fast the wind speed is. Um, their fear is, though, that it, it might, again, 
pick up steam and become a Category 5 hurricane. But regardless, Category 4, Category 5 hurricanes, absolutely devastating. I mean, here's some of the stuff. It's already been hitting in the Caribbean. Um, 60% of the households in Puerto Rico are without power. St. Martin, which is a Caribbean island you may have visited, uh, 95% of the island was destroyed. That's what they are saying. The Haitian government is calling for all agencies, stores, and banks to shut down. Um, The prime minister of Antigua and Barbudo said that half of Barbudo had been left homeless. I mean, it's just incredible. And now you have, I mean, people in Florida, mandatory evacuation orders. Nobody knows quite where it might hit, but the expectations are sometime late Saturday or Sunday, it's going to hit Florida. Now, at some point in time, it's going to make a right turn. And it could go up the eastern seaboard, in which case Florida might get a glancing blow. uh, But other, other places a little bit further north end up getting hit. Many of the computer tracks are, are suggesting that it's in all likely going to hit just hit Florida flat into the center and, and go up. Now, it's a fast-moving hurricane, which means a huge swell of water. Um, and a, a lot of the areas are just very, very vulnerable. Plus, you know, winds... 135, 145, 155 miles an hour. Incredible potential for destruction, as you've already seen uh, again throughout the Caribbean. What's happening now is people, I think, are realizing this is the real thing. And, you know, they're, they're taking the evacuation orders seriously and they are trying to get out to the extent they can. Tough to get any airplane flights because it's all booked. Um, in some areas, it's almost impossible now to find gasoline. So even if people want to get out, they're, they're not able to really get out. But lots of people are heading for higher ground because if you've ever ridden out one of these major hurricanes before, well, it's tough to do. Um, you, you don't want to necessarily do that again. All right, this is the first monster hurricane to hit Florida in more than a decade. But this is, of course, the real deal. And it comes on the heels of Hurricane Harvey that hit the Houston area, what, two weeks ago. These are different hurricanes in that Hurricane Harvey was one that hit and just stayed, dumping the 40 and 50 inches of rain. This is not going to be the same type of hurricane. You're going to have apparently more massive winds, huge storm surge, but then it's going to it's going to move on. But regardless, the, the devastation is, is just if it hits, is unfortunately going to be epic. Now, yesterday, um, during this segment, we talked to people who have friends or relatives that are living in in Florida and how everybody is reacting to this. Um, And and hopefully, if you've got friends and relatives, they've made a decision as to how they're going to weather the storm, and and hopefully, if they're getting out, they've been able to get out. I I think there's another interesting aspect, and and this is the aspect of this that I want to talk to you about as part of our first big thing on the show. I will confess that for the longest time, one of my dreams has been to have a second place somewhere in, in Florida, a place that you can go to get out of Wisconsin's winter. I don't ever see myself leaving Wisconsin full-time, I mean, in retirement. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I'm, I'm dug in here. I've got roots. I've got friends. I, I'm, not, I'm not leaving. But I could see, certainly, all right, maybe from, I don't know, late fall, you know, once it starts getting cold, you go down to Florida, 
you spend a few weeks, you come back here for the holidays, and then January through March, you know, you're, you're gone somewhere, you're back again somewhere warm. I have always, no offense to those of you who have places in Arizona, I have always preferred Florida to Arizona. I'm really not a desert guy, um, and, and so I've always preferred Florida to Arizona. And now I'm at a point in my life where I, I'm starting to think more and more about, dude, do you want to get a place down in, in Florida? Um, I will tell you, over the last couple days, I've been looking at this, and I, you're always aware that there is the potential for hurricanes and that things like this can happen. But candidly, like I say, for the last decade or so, Florida has been a hurricane-free zone. Well, they're making up for this with this one. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I would like to discuss with you. The, this, this hurricane, and of course the hurricane that just hit Houston a couple weeks ago, would that make you rethink a decision either to own property now in one of those areas along the Gulf or in Florida, um, or would it make you rethink a decision to buy something there in the future? Or is this just something you, you end up living with? If Would you still consider resettling at least part of the year or maybe full-time to Florida? Lots of people from Wisconsin do it. Is this getting you to rethink your decision? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hurricane Irma bearing down on Florida. What does it say for the future? 414-799-1620. We will discuss in just a couple minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 856. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So BD who's producing the show. We were talking about the Brewers' road trip and how many games they needed to win. They've got seven games upcoming with the Chicago Cubs, three this weekend, and then four at Miller Park a little bit later on the month. How how many of these seven games do you think that they need to realistically win to stay in the playoff hunt? You say five out of seven. I actually think six out of seven. I, I think they've dug themselves such a I, – I, I mean, it, it's just – you know, to go and lay an egg. Look, and I, I understand it's been a, a really good year. They've overperformed, but that that four ga- getting swept by four games in Pittsburgh to a Pirates team that's no good, and losing three in a row, choking like they did in Cincinnati, and yeah, that was a choke job in Cincinnati earlier this week. That those seven games are going to haunt them. That that's. If you go back and you look at the season, and I understand you can go crazy trying to look at like individual games and stuff, but losing four in a row to Pittsburgh a little while back and losing three this week, um, I, I think that's the situation. Yeah, you say five out of seven, I think six out of seven. I think that's. I think they've got to pick it up now. Can they do it? You know, maybe. Who, who knows? This is a team that you just you never know what team's going to show up. Is it the team that? wins three out of four against the Washington Nationals and maybe had a realistic chance to sweep the Nationals, or is it the team that just goes out and, again, chokes big time against Cincinnati? Don't, but you say five out of seven, I say six out of seven. But hopefully, hopefully by the time we next speak on Monday, that, that number will be down. If they could sweep three in Chicago, that would be a good step. Okay, we're talking about this hurricane that's bearing down on, on Florida. And, I, again, we don't know exactly the storm's path. You, you hope that maybe it makes a right turn and you know goes up the Atlantic. But everybody's saying Florida's going to get whomped with you know one of the most catastrophic catastrophic events in years. Um, our text line has just exploded. Uh, let's see. Jill in Dowsman says, "My husband and I have a second home in Florida. I also have a family home there. We go down in early December, come home in April. I would never move there, but it's a great way to escape the Wisconsin winter. Hurricanes are a concern and worry." 
but it doesn't change our life. As long as our health permits, this is going to be our life. And she encouraged me to do this. This is a great way to spend your retirement. Um, let's see. I have another text. My parents are in their 70s, and they feel the same way as you do. They're dug in here. They have grandkids. They spend four months, January through April, in Florida, and they rent. They probably pay a 50% premium on the rent, but they have no maintenance, not even something as simple as a light bulb, and they don't have to worry about uh, a hurricane. Um, I've gone back and forth with them on this issue of buying, and we've always continued to prefer renting. It just makes more sense than worrying about maintenance and storms. That's something definitely to consider. Regardless, um, we're going to know more by Monday morning, and you just kind of hope for the best with this storm it's moving, and you, just, you, you look at what's going on in some of the other places. You look at what happened to Puerto Rico. So we started this. Um, 60% of the households in Puerto Rico without power. St. Martin, which, again, an island that you may have visited if you've taken a Caribbean cruise, 95% of the island destroyed. Wow. So hopefully, hopefully everyone will be safe. Hopefully this storm will turn out not to be as bad as it's been, but uh, something definitely to watch. All right. Big story number two, and this is a big story, but I I think it is somewhat undercovered. There are three major credit reporting services, and and I I understand they advise people that you should check your credit reports on like a yearly basis to see, you know, and and nothing else, just to make sure that you're not a victim of identity theft. I I wish I was better at doing that, but I I don't. But as I've said earlier, I'm in the process of, of buying a house. And so that you, as part of the thing to finance that, you know, they, they run credit reports. And so you get a, you get your various credit reports. So you get a chance to, to check it. And, you know, I, I did once I got them and they look, actually they look, you know, ordinary, no, nothing going on there. But one of the three large credit reporting firms is Equifax. If you haven't heard this, Equifax, and again, the, the credit reporting agencies, they know everything there is to know about you. They know your bank accounts. They know your bank balances. They know um, your you. They know your car loans. They have your social security number. They have access to a, at least some of your tax information because it might have been reported somewhere else as you were trying to get credit. All that stuff. I mean, they know about you in great detail. They can tell when you made the last payment on your mortgage and how much that was. Well, um, Equifax has been victim of of a hacking. Um, They acknowledged yesterday that hackers had gained access to company data that potentially could compromise sensitive information for, and I hope you're sitting down, 143 million American consumers. What is that information? Well, it might be a Social Security number, might be a driver's license um, number. and, And if somebody has your driver's license number, or your social security number, um, coupled with other information, it is just a wide open chance for identity theft because those are the types of things that people are going to want to know, you know, in order to open up various accounts and things like that. So this is, in fact, a, a big deal. This represents one of the largest risks for identity theft in, in recent years. And um, candidly, is something that should have a lot of people worried. Now, it's been made a little bit worse because the company's chief financial officer apparently dumped shares of the company 
um, sold almost $1.8 million worth of shares in the company. Um, in the days after the breach was discovered, the shares were not part of a sale planned in advance. So what it appears happened is the chief financial officer said, uh-oh, this is going to be really, really bad. Here, I'm going to dump a lot of my shares in the company because I know what this is going to do. The company handles data on more than 820 million consumers and more than 91 million businesses worldwide. It manages a database with employee information from more than 7,100 employers. Remember last year, there was the whole thing where the target was hacked and people were getting information about, you know, your credit cards. If you had it, if you made purchases on a credit card through target and there was that big concern. Okay. The, the target hacking, incredibly significant, but that is peanuts compared to an Equifax hacking. And at this point in time, there doesn't appear to be too much that you can do. Equifax is giving you an opportunity to sign up for its credit protection service, which is going to be free for one year to consumers who enroll by the middle of November. But th- that's only one year. Hackers, oftentimes, the people that will get the information, the stolen information, they will wait years before they try to access things. So uh, one year, okay but nowhere near good enough as far as what needs to be done. I bring this up simply because if you are concerned about this, this is one where you might want to, over the course of you know the next few weeks or whatever, you might want to check your credit report to see if all of a sudden there's inquiries being made or credit being opened up in your name that you did not approve. Because if, if, if this hacking is such that people were really able to get driver's license numbers or social security numbers, um, it, they, they didn't do it for a good reason. They, they didn't do it for some altruistic reason. They did it because they want to get the information and sell it to people who will steal your identity. So I don't mean to be scary about this, but this is an incredibly, incredibly big deal. And uh, you just ignore it at your peril. All right, coming up next, big story number three. Ed Flynn changes his pursuit policy, sort of. We'll discuss. Stick around. It's 917. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 919. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. Ed Flynn under pressure from the Fire and Police Commission, has agreed to modify the Milwaukee Police Department chase policy. This has been very controversial. Back in 2010, Ed Flynn implemented a policy which tied the hands of the Milwaukee Police Department, essentially saying you are only enabled, you are only allowed to chase vehicles that run from you if you have probable cause to believe that the vehicle has been involved in a violent felony. All right, well, the, the problem with that is, first of all, probable cause is a high standard. Secondly, in many cases, the officers don't know why a vehicle is running. Now, now sometimes, uh, again, you know, okay, this is a car that was taken in a carjacking, boom, you've got a violent felony, fine, you, you can chase it. Okay, this is a car that was involved in a bank robbery, this is the getaway car, it is running from us, you can chase it. But those are the exceptions to the rule. In many, many cases, the cops don't know why people are running. They, they just don't. All they know is that they put on the bubble lights, they've tried to pull over a car, and it is taken off. 
They don't know why it is that the person's running. They don't know whether the person's you know drunk or high or doing drug deals or has bodies in the back. They just know it's running. But under those circumstances, Ed Flynn would not let you chase. Ed Flynn would not let the police chase because of reckless driving. And if you talk to rank-and-file police officers, they will tell you how frustrated they were with this. Because what would happen is the word got out that you could drive recklessly. You had the gangsters and the wannabe thugs or whatever driving 85, 90 miles an hour, running red lights in the plain view of police. And the police were not allowed to chase them because they didn't have evidence that there was probable cause to believe a violent felony was committed. You talk to a lot of cops, they would say, we just sit there. The cars drive by us at 90 miles an hour. They blow through red lights, and we're not allowed to go after them. Now, what an idiotic policy that was. Well, the Fire and Police Commission said, look, enough is enough. You need to change this policy. And asking for, after asking for you know more time to review it, um, Flynn has slightly, well, and I, I want to give him credit, a little bit more perhaps than slightly modified the policy. Now, officers can chase, once again, if they believe that there is probable cause to believe that a car has been committed, been used in the commission of a violent felony. So that's the same. They also now will allow the police officers to chase if they believe that there is evidence that the car has been involved in immediate drug dealing. That was one of the other things that that happened. You had, um, it used to be, back in the day, when I was chasing drug dealers, there were drug houses. And they were stationary drug houses. You would, if you're a drug buyer, you would go up to the particular house, you would buy the dope. Nowadays, that's not how it works. Nowadays, all the, I don't want to say all, many of the drug transactions that are conducted are conducted from from cars. What happens is you've got the drug dealer who's driving around. Um, The drug buyer has the cell phone number. So you call the drug dealer. The drug dealer says, hey, great, meet me on the corner of 5th and whatever. I'll sell you the dope. That's how it works nowadays. It's not stationary houses. So that's the way it operates. So under the former chase policy, you know, the police weren't able weren't able to, they, they think that there's a drug deal that's going down. That's not a violent felony necessarily. They see the drug dealer, the drug dealer takes off, they would have to let them go. So under the modified policy, they can now chase drug dealers if they believe the car's been involved in an active drug deal. They are also now allowed to chase if they see evidence of um, reckless driving. And they think that the danger that the reckless driving poses outweighs the risk of the chase. So once again, you're sitting in the gas station. You're the police car. You're sitting in the gas station at 92nd and Silver Spring. You watch the car drive through the red light at 95 miles an hour. And they ref- you can go after them. And if they refuse to stop, as long as you believe the reckless driving um, is there, fine. You-, you can go ahead and chase them. All right. My take on this. I think this is a good start. In all honesty, I would not put restrictions on the cops. I would say that any time someone runs from you, you should be allowed to chase them. Again, based on the circumstances. You want to make a case-by-case judgment as to why you know, as to whether it's too risky to chase them. I'm not advocating chases down Wisconsin Avenue at 4.30 in the afternoon um, where you're putting cars, where people are driving up along the sidewalks. I, I think, though, that given the fact that you don't know why 
it is that people are running, I, I think the fact that you are running means that you have something to hide or you are a danger. So if I were running the show, I would say I think you should be able to chase, period, if people run. Because if they're running from you, they are up to no good, as long as you don't unreasonably put people at risk. Having said that, I think this is a good first step. This allows them to go after reckless drivers. It allows them to go after drug dealers. And it also allows them to go after the cars that are involved in violent felonies. It is a good first step. But in my opinion, it does not go far enough. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, did Flynn get it right? Does he need to go farther? I say good first step. Frank in Fox Lake. Frank, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I have friends and my sons are tough, but uh, in the city of Milwaukee, the police kind of have the, the computers where they can pick up a stolen car. The police were not allowed to chase these cars, excuse me. <clears throat> Plus, they had people spinning in front of them, doing reckless driving. The cops could not chase them. Yep. So I hope this helps law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, it, it, thanks. I mean, again, that's why I say it, this is, to me, this is a good, good first step. And I don't mean to be overly critical here. I think police should be allowed to chase anytime someone runs. And again, you use your own judgment because many times, again, you don't know why it is they're running. They could have that. They've got the body in the back of the car. You know, you don't know. They've got 50 guns in the back of the car. You don't. People do not run from the police unless in automobiles you do not start high. You do not start uh, high speed pursuits. You don't flee from the police unless you have something to hide. That is just the bottom line. And I think you need to catch these people and get them off the street. If you are running from the cops, in my opinion, you are per se number one up to no good. So that's why. I think the policy should be like it, by the way, is in many departments. You just chase if they run from you. And then you might have to make a decision whether you discontinue the chase or not if it becomes too risky. And I completely support that. Flynn won't go that far because I think in part he doesn't want to admit that he's could ever be wrong. This is a good first step. The Fire and Police Commission has accepted it. I think that there are enough vagaries to this which will allow a great number of chases because, again, you've got the, the whole provision that's there that says that if somebody is involved in, in reckless driving, and I would argue that, I don't know, if all of a sudden you see someone, you put on the bubble lights, they're in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, you go to pull somebody over because they've got, oh, I don't know, a missing tail light or something, you go to chase them and they take off, I think you can argue that, per se, it's almost reckless driving. Tom on the north side. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Real well, thank you. I'm going to give Flynn credit. I think this is a positive step, but it doesn't go far enough to me. Well, you know, everything you said makes sense, except for the 4 o'clock on Wisconsin Avenue. I mean, you're leaving them an opening when they can deal their drugs then. I think these police should, should pursue every time a crime is being committed or a suspicion of one because, I mean, if you're not going to do it when it's when there's heavy traffic or a lot of people, well, that's where they're going to do it then. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, that is right. I mean, thanks for calling. And that's always the issue. But at the same time, you don't I don't want to put the lives of, of innocent people at risk unnecessarily. And you do that with every chase. And I don't certainly want to put the lives of officers at risk. Here is the other thing. And it is a point that Ed Flynn made yesterday. And he's right. 
one of the concerns he's always had is we chase these people, we catch them, and then they go into the, he doesn't say this, but I'll say it for him, catch and release Milwaukee County court system. And he did say, hey, as part of this, if we're going to chase them, once we get them, we need to have some more accountability. I agree with him completely. A good start would be for him as the police chief and the mayor of the city of Milwaukee to start calling out judges when they issue these slap-on-the-wrist sentences or when they set ridiculous bails that turn people loose to prey on the city again and again. It's 929. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 936. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Jane, I told you yesterday I was going to spend my afternoon getting my marriage license. Yes. Okay, so... And there's always interesting stories. So we, I, you know, after after the show, I had to hang around here for a little while. We had the the lady from the Japanese newspaper that was in, and she wanted to do an interview, and so we we did that. And then I had some other stuff. So I'm, I, I was running a little bit behind. So I, I go, I pick out my my bride to be, and you know, we go out to the courthouse, and you know, we've got all the stuff that's there. And I was actually. I was in one of these sort of, I, I mean, I, I think it's great. I'm looking forward to getting married. I'm excited about this. So I'm in one of these kind of moods. Plus, I figure uh, it's got to be boring to work in the clerk's office. So let's try to, like, get people, you know, let's 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 try to make their day a little Spread bit brighter. Spread the joy. It, exactly, as it were. So, you know, we submit all the stuff, and we're, like, filling out the forms. And she informs us that there's a five-day waiting period for a, a marriage license. I'm sure I knew that, I guess. I know people know that. It's been a long time since I got a marriage license. But, you know, five days. And so I, I was pointing out, I said, you know, in Wisconsin, there, there's no waiting period on handguns at all. So you're, you can get a gun right away, and it takes you five days. There's a five-day waiting period. And... Of course, at that point in time, my fiance is kind of looking at me like, <laughs> with, with again that look that you all learn from your mothers, like I can't believe I'm involved in this. You know, it's I like, still have time to change. My <laughs> well, that's exactly right. You know, it's, I can't believe he's saying this, and the and and the the woman behind the clerk's office, she's going, well, that's an interesting observation. Okay, so then you know, we, we they move us over and they sit you down and you fill out the forms and you give them the hundred and ten dollars and all that, and then they put you under oath. And then they start asking you a, a series of, of questions, to, um, like, is the information on your, your thing valid? And then they get to the part where, <laughs> where they ask if you're cousins. <laughs> Do they really? Oh, 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 yeah. This is, they, ask, they ask if you're cousins. Boy, I'm trying to remember. Uh, they, they ask, and you're, you're under oath. They ask if you're cousins. And I see... I see my bride to be kind of looking at me because she knows. <laughs> she know, and, and I'm getting that look like for once in your life, don't be a wise ass. Don't for God's sake, for you know, don't don't do this. I, I'm getting this, this look. Just resist the urge. But of course, I can't help myself. So I, I say, I, I, I say, no, we're 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 not cousins. Um, and that, but then I can't let it go. So I say to the woman, I said, I just gotta know. Does anybody ever answer yes to this question? <laughs> I, I, does anybody ever come in and say, "Do you have to answer it?" And she takes a and I give her a question. She takes a pause and she says, "You know, to tell you the truth, whenever we ask that question, everybody is kind of saying, "Don't say yes, don't say yes, don't say yes," because if you do say yes, then, then there because cousins can marry under certain circumstances in Wisconsin. And then her and I start talking about the statutes because um, if you're I, their concern is they don't want the family tree to be a wreath. You know? Well, exactly. So um, if you're if you're over a certain age, 
you know, you're not going to you're not going to reproduce, right? So you you could call, but then they have to ask these follow up questions, and then there's uh, I guess if you've been sterilized or something like that. But you know, we're you know, <laughs> there's all these things. We're you know, and so we we had about a three or four minute conversation about the statute or thing about us not being cousins and all. And I, <laughs> I know this, and, and so then the follow up to this is Fran says to me, you're. You know, you're you're not going to tell this story on the radio. Somebody might be offended. And I said, "Look, if you're marrying your cousin, you got bigger issues than me talking about it on the radio." You know, Thanksgiving, just, just <laughs> one. You know, I, well, I, I did say, "Does anybody ever say yes?" And the woman did say, "Never to me." But um, one of my coworkers did have somebody once say that we're we're their cousins getting wow. married. Wow. Um, I. Again, that and then that you answer yes to that, and that lets me go down a whole weird path of questions. <laughs> right, right. You know? yeah, exactly. You're just kind of down there. But so, so it was an interest. I mean, see, this is one of the things. That's what I was telling her afterwards. This is one of the great things about sharing my life. You know, you can take even these interesting and mundane things, and we can we can find interesting stuff about it. You Look know what you learned <laughs> about the state statutes. It was a little educational trip. Well, it, it, exactly. <laughs> and you know, there's a five day waiting period for marriage licenses, but you can buy a gun with no waiting period once you pass the background. Hmm. What can you say? In any event, we I think we've got. But there's a five day waiting period. I mean, who knows? Maybe they have time. We we passed at least the initial test. So <laughs> time's still ticking, Jeff. She may still change her mind. Yeah, exactly. You told the cousin story on the radio. I said, "Well, honey, we're not cousins." You know, don't worry about that. I digress. Um, oh, <laughs> it's just you, you got to enjoy kind of the little things in life. And if you in fact married your cousin and you're offended, I told you that story. Well, I'm. I'm kind of sorry. Okay, I want to do I want to do a follow up on actually a couple stories we've talked about this week um, because in both of the ones there, there's new developments and secondly I, I also appreciate that there are some you, maybe you listen to the show three and a half hours a day from eight thirty noon in which case I say thank you some people go back and listen to the entire podcast but I also realize that people kind of dip in and out and. Not everybody that is listening at 11.15 on a Thursday is listening at 9.40 on a, on a Friday, for example. One of the stories that has been getting a lot of attention involves a professional football player named Michael Bennett. He's an all-pro defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks. He is the brother of Martellus Bennett, who is the, um, one of the, the big free agent signing for the, the Packers, the tight end. So, um, Michael Bennett has also been very active in kind of the the protests involving the national anthem and things like that. If you haven't been following the story, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, and there is an update. Um, earlier this week, he put out, he, he did a, a posting on social media where he, he alleged that uh, Las Vegas police officers uh, essentially stopped him unjustly arrested him, put a gun to his head, threatened to blow his blanking head off, all because he was black. Um, Let me read you just a portion of the posting. On Saturday, April 26, 2017, I was in Las Vegas to attend the Mayweather-McGregor fight on my day off. After the fight, while heading back to my hotel, um, over 100 people heard what sounded like a gunshot. 
I, like many of the people in the area, ran away from the sound looking for safety. Las Vegas police officers singled me out, pointed their guns at me for doing nothing more than simply being a black man in the wrong place at the wrong time. A police officer ordered me to get on the ground. As I laid on the ground, complying with his commands to not move, he placed a gun near my head and warned me that if I moved, he would blow my blanking head off. Terrified and confused by what was taking place, a second officer came over and forcefully jammed his knee into my back, making it difficult for me to breathe. They then uh, cinched the handcuffs on my wrists so tight that my fingers went numb. The officer's excessive use of force was unbearable. I felt helpless as I lay there on the ground, handcuffed, being facing the real-life threat of being killed. All I could think of was that I'm going to die for no other reason than I am black, and my skin color is somehow a threat. My life flashed before me, even as I thought of my girls. Would I ever play with them again or watch them? I kept asking the officers, what did I do? And reminding them that I had rights. Um, they had a duty to um, respect, etc., etc. It goes on. Now, when we talked about this yesterday, my, my initial reaction was, I, I think, and there's, there's the only footage they have thus far is one of the officers had a body camera footage, and they just showed the end, where he's, again, he's on the ground and he's being handcuffed. When, when we talked about this yesterday, I, I, I was cautioning people, I, I think there's a lot more to this story. It didn't make, what, what Michael Bennett was saying doesn't make any sense to me. I have been in Las Vegas after people come streaming out, uh, after concerts and fights and things like that. There are large groups of people. And the fact that he was, and and the, the crowd, trust me, the crowd from McGregor Mary, Mayweather was very, very racially diverse. You had a lot of white people, you had a lot of Hispanic people, you had a lot of black people. So I, th- this idea that his story is that he is the one that somehow gets singled out by the cops and that they do this and it was because he was a black guy, that doesn't it didn't make sense to me. Because there were lots of black people, I guarantee you, that were in this casino. Um, And what ended up happening is somebody apparently knocked over one of the stanchions that holds up the velvet ropes. It it, it smacked onto a tile floor. It sounded like a, a gunshot. So there wasn't an active shooting situation, but nobody knew it. So anyhow, I... I I just I, had, I was cautioning people yesterday to just hold on because this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It wasn't like the cops grabbed a hundred black men and and did this to him. It was only Bennett. So what exactly happened here? Well, the Las Vegas Police Union it now is weighing in on this. Um, they, they've sent a letter to the NFL. Let me let me read you a portion of this. On behalf of the rank-and-file members of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, <clears throat> this is directed to the NFL commissioner, I request that you conduct an investigation and take appropriate action into Michael Bennett's obvious false allegations against our officers. While the NFL may condone um, Bennett's disrespect for our flag and everything it symbolizes, we hope the league will not ignore Bennett's false accusations against our police officer. Uh, officers. As you may know, Michael Bennett posted a Twitter message regarding his interaction with our officers. Bennett wrote, Las Vegas police officers singled me out and pointed their guns at me for doing nothing more than simply being a black man in the wrong place at the wrong time. Bennett's message included additional comments which we believe are false and defamatory. 
We believe that the investigation will establish that our officers responded to one of the most dangerous calls that law enforcement officers can respond to, an active firing of rounds in a crowded casino. As our uniformed officers entered the casino, they observed Bennett hiding behind a slot machine. When officers turned towards Bennett, he bolted out of the casino, leaped over a four-foot barrier wall, and hid from officers as he crouched close to the wall on the sidewalk. I am sure that your attorney will tell you our officers had reasonable suspicion, which is the constitutional standard, to detain Bennett until they could determine whether he was involved in the shooting. Our officers, get this, who are both minorities, had the legal right and obligation to detain Bennett based on the nature of the call and Bennett's unusual and suspicious actions. Our officers did not detain Bennett because he was a black man in the wrong place at the wrong time. Michael Bennett's claim that our officers are racist is false and offensive to the men and women of law enforcement. We hope you will take appropriate action against Michael Bennett. I am available to meet with you and provide any other information you deem necessary. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When we discussed this yesterday, I mean, I, I was... I was saying, look, there's got to be more to this story. The police department, through the union, is now saying, hey, here's what happens. We, we get this call that there's shots at the casino. We come in. We see Bennett. He's crouching behind a slot machine. When we go to approach him, he takes off. He starts running. He jumps over a four-foot wall. He starts running out to the sidewalk. He's hiding from us. Yes, Yes, we then did detain him. And by the way, the officers that did that are both minorities. Now, I don't know if they're African-American or Hispanic or whatever. All right, 414-799-1620. All right, we have Michael Bennett's story. We have the Las Vegas Police Union responding. Do you believe, based on what we know thus far, that he was detained because he was a black man in the wrong place at the wrong time, or is this an example of screaming racism where none exists? 414-799-1620. It's 949. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Nine fifty three, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Look, I recognize there is real racism in this world. I, I do, I, I do. But but here's the deal. I, I think there are some people who are opportunists. This Michael Bennett story, and again, he's one of the big activists from the NFL, fine. This story about how he gets detained in Vegas simply because he's a, a black man, it didn't make any sense to me. Now, that did stop all sorts of people from tweeting this and being outraged. Well, the police union is now responding. They say, yeah, we, we stopped him. First of all, it was minority officers that stopped him. We responded to a call in a casino that there were shots fired. We found him hiding behind a slot machine. He then ran from us, jumped over a four-foot wall and was hiding from us yeah we 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 detained him to figure out what was going on here other people didn't do this let's start with dave in waukesha dave you're on 620 wtmj well hi jeff thanks for taking the call and, and, and airing this topic um i i agree with you i actually heard this your version recounted by a minority milwaukee police officer last night and he said the police come in guns drawn people are laying on the floor one person, one person bolts out of there, and that's and they chase after and pursue that person, yeah. and it's Michael Bennett. And so, you know, again, just another situation where 
so many people and media outlets are so quick to jump on this and rush to judgment. Um, right. You know, it, I, it, I just it, wish more people would be held accountable to the truth. Um, well, that that's it. I mean, thanks and see, thanks for, and see. This is what was frustrating to me. And and look, I, I, again, may, maybe there's something else that's going to come out. But I will tell you, the version of this being told by the police makes a lot more sense than Michael Bennett's version. Because, again, I guarantee you that there were a lot of black males that were in that casino when this happened. I, I guarantee you that. And this is the guy. He's the guy. He's six foot four. He decides to run from the police, jump over a four-foot wall, and flee out onto the sidewalk. Well, of course... The police who are looking for what they believe is a shooter, yeah, you, you think somebody runs from him and they're not going to chase him? And again, now it comes out that the, the people that stopped him were minority officers themselves. And again, I don't know if they were African American or Hispanic or, or whatever, but it, if the police version is true, Michael Bennett should be ashamed of himself. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Dave. Dave, Dave, Dave. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Uh, I get to go a couple times a year like you do, and that was the first thing that got me was when they said he ran out on Vegas Boulevard. You can't run out on you There is always barriers in between the sidewalks and the road. Right. You, you can't do that. And the fact, I've been there for a Super Bowl, I've been there for fights, and... Yeah, there, if you're running through the casino on any given night, you're going to draw attention to yourself. Blowing when there's a shots fired call, right. and I, I really love the letter from the the police union that shoots the dig in that Bob, you're not going to be uh, upset. I'm sorry, your, your cell phone keeps cutting in and out, Dave. But yeah, but right. I mean, I mean, I think the police union. Now again, I'm I, I just I'm looking at the two versions. And I will tell you, as somebody who you know, was in law enforcement for a number of years and also, I like to think, has a decent amount of common sense, the version that the cops are saying makes a lot more sense. Michael Bennett's version is, hey, I, I'm walking through this casino. We hear shots. Um, I, I start... I start running like everybody else is, and I'm the one black man that they grab and put on the ground. Okay, that 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 makes no sense to me, but, but maybe I guess it happened. The police say, hey, active shots fired. We're in the casino. We see him hiding behind a slot machine. He sees us. He bolts. He runs. He jumps over a four-foot fence, starts hiding from us. Yes, well, we, we didn't know who he was, but even if we know who he was, we're going to still chase him. He's running from us. We're looking for an active shooter. If Michael Bennett is lying about this, I don't know if Roger Goodell can do anything, but people who scream racism when it didn't occur, they should be ashamed of themselves, and it sure seems like that's what happened here. It's 9.57. When we come back in just a couple minutes, a follow-up to something I am still getting um, emails and texts about. Junk gas, potentially junk gas being sold to people who don't know what they're buying in Milwaukee. We'll discuss. It's 9.57. It's 
1009, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I want to revisit another story we talked about earlier in this week that I'm continuing to get tweets about. You can actually follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Jeff Wagner, 620. This is the second week that I've been part of the Twitterverse. Kind of fun. Try to send out a couple a day. Um, but I've been getting texts and emails about this story that kind of caught people's attention. I, and, and actually, I... When I talked about it a couple days ago, I had not seen this firsthand. So I made a point of stopping at a quick trip gas station, you know, last night. I actually really didn't even guess that much, but I, I wanted to see this. Um, there in southeastern Wisconsin, if you buy unleaded gas, typically the what you are getting is a mixture of regular gasoline and 10% ethanol, which is, of course, the... The, the the corn product or, or whatever that is then blended in. And automobile engines are made to run with 10% ethanol. Um, there's a new kind of gas. Well, there's a kind of gas that's been out for a while, but it's starting to be marketed a little more in, in our area. And it's this new, they call it E15 gas. And instead of the traditional... 90, 10% blend gas to ethanol. This E15 gas is 85% gasoline, 15% ethanol. Now, ethanol for certain types of small engines like lawnmower engines and things of the like, it, it's, in my opinion, it's not good. Matter of fact, a lot of people say, you know, don't put this, you know, don't put gas with lots of ethanol in your in your lawnmowers. Um, don't put it into your, like, snowblowers and things like that. So you have to be really careful, you know, reading the, the manufacturers, you know, read that, that book that tells you what type of gas the small engines run on. Most automobiles that are made nowadays are capable of running, most on this this E15 fuel, but it is not something you commonly see around. So I, I my my attention went to this story because the the I team Channel Four did a report the other day that was talking about how at Quick Trip. And let me say this: I you can go back and listen to this. I am a huge fan of Quick Trip. I love what Quick Trip has done. I, I love the fact that they sell fresh produce and things like that at their stores. I, I think Quick Trip is a, a great example of a you know Wisconsin based business that is incredibly successful. And given my choice of stopping at different places, I will go to a Quick Trip. All right. But Channel 4 does this report the other day about about this new gas that they are selling at Quick Trip that a lot of people don't necessarily realize what it is that they are buying. If you go if you go to a Quick Trip, what they used to have is it's one pump and there's three different nozzles. One is the regular unleaded gasoline, which is like 87 octane. Then they used to sell the mid-grade gas, 89 octane, and then the premium gas, um, 93 octane. So what you would do is you go and you say you're, you put in your credit card, you say I'm going to pay at the pump, and then you know you you pick whichever one of the handles you want. You lift it up and you put gas in your car. Well, what the I team was pointing out is that Quick Trip over the last couple months, has done away with their mid-grade gasoline, like the 89-octane thing, and now they are selling this stuff at the pumps called E88. What E88 is, is that's the octane level. So it's a higher octane level than the regular unleaded gas. But what it is, is it's 15% ethanol. Now, there is a little orange sticker 
that says, you know, 15%. I went last night because I, I wanted to see this because the I-Team report was saying that lots and lots of people didn't realize what it is that they were, were purchasing. They were saying, hey, this name is very misleading um, because they're, they're calling it, you know, unleaded 88 and the people, they're just going to see that, oh, it's a little bit higher octane level. This is like the mid-level gasoline that I used to buy. Well, it, it's not. It, it's, again, the, the 15%, you know, ethanol. Um, and actually what's weird is it sells for a few cents less than unleaded gasoline, regular unleaded gasoline sells for. But in many cases, you're probably going to get less mileage. That's what typically happens with the higher um, ethanol content. So anyhow, this has caused a lot of confusion. We talked about it a couple days ago. I I went to the quick trip last night because I I wanted wanted to see, because sometimes people complain about stuff, and you, you want to say, well, it really is kind of labeled clearly. Because, I mean, I obviously, if for whatever reason, Quick Trip wants to replace mid-grade gasoline with this E80, with this, you know, E15 gas, I don't want to buy it. But that, that, that's me. I just, I, I don't want to buy it. I wish I lived in an area where I didn't have to buy gasoline with ethanol in it at all. Sorry for you ethanol producers out there. But I, I don't want to buy it. I understand. I've got a new car. I looked at the owner's manual. It says you can run it on this. I don't want to take the chance. Maybe that's me. But I, I was wondering, I mean, if people want to do it, because even though I think you're going to get less gas mileage, or at least some cars are going to, and you decide you want to do it because it's a little bit cheaper, go with God. That's fine. But I wanted to see how it's labeled. And I will tell you, going there last night, um, while there is a little orange sticker that says, you know, e, this is 15% ethanol, it is true that the sign advertising bananas is, is a lot bigger then the sign telling you that you are putting this different type of gas in your vehicle. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I Have you been to a quick trip, and have you seen, have you found this to be confusing? Again, I don't have a problem if, for whatever reason, this is what they've decided that they want to sell to give consumers an option. And maybe they feel that more people will buy this than bought the, um, the mid-level gas. That's a reasonable business decision. I do think, though, that if you're going to be selling this, you need to clearly label, and I mean really clearly label, what it is. Um, you, you can go to places where you buy this flex fuel, which is 85% ethanol, and, and some cars can, can run on that. It'll kill small engines, but some cars will run on that. Um, I, I, that, at least, normally you have a different color nozzle that tells you you are buying something different than regular gasoline. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Paul in Heartland. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Uh, yeah, I when I noticed that uh, I could buy a higher octane gas for $0.20 cents less a gallon, my... Yeah, my, uh, what's the deal here? Great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm going with it. So I did read the little orange sticker on it, and I thought, okay, well, it doesn't say anything about putting it in a 2014. It says prior to 2001... Not made for cars, you know, earlier than 2001. Right. But I, I put the gas in within 20 minutes. In my, I've got an ATS 2014 Cadillac. Within 20 minutes, the, the engine light went on, uh. and I'm like, well, it's got to have something to do with the gas. And I, I ran out the, the tank, and sure enough, I put in regular 80, what 87, 87 yeah. And my car was fine after that. So there's nothing on that sign that says anything about do not put in a turbo. 
Oh, really? Okay. No. Yeah. No, I think that's kind of misleading in itself. Well, I just, and, and again, I just, if, if people want to make that decision, like you're talking about, Paul, you say, hey, okay, higher octane, cheaper, I'll go for it. But I, I do, I think you got to clear, I think that that's an education thing, and I think people need to be clearly told what it is they're doing and the potential risk before you do it. And, I, again, I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a risk that I wouldn't take, but if people decide they want to do it, fine. But right. um, but they're not coming completely clean on what the risks are. No. You know, it, if your engine light's going on, they, right. better, they better research it a little better. Right. No, no, thanks for the call. Yeah, and I had – now, I have um, – my my SUV runs on – just on regular gas. Um, my, my Beetle with the turbo runs on premium, um, but there's no – yeah, I, I guess I didn't even think about the turbo one way or the other. But again, I'm not putting this gas in my car. But that's again, that's that's just me. But my hang up is, I, I wanted to see if these complaints about the fact that this isn't being clearly labeled were, was fair. And and again, I I think I think it is fair. There is there's a there's a notice that says it's E15, but you you got to read the orange you got to read the orange sticker. Um, you would think that you'd have a different pump handle or something. Ken in Fond du Lac. Ken, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, Ken. Um, I know it's a couple, uh, probably three weeks ago now up in Kimberly that the gas price on their main billboard, right? especially with the older ones where they don't have all three, they'll have listed two, like our gas regular outlet is 257 and I seen the price two forty six. Yeah, hey, it's oh, a dime cheaper. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But underneath, in small letters, it'll say E eighty eight. Well, you don't look at that, right? To me, that's false advertising, right? For or the price, right? Or at least deceptive. You you think you're getting, you think you're getting something that you're not really getting. And E E fifteen is different than the regular blend of gas. It's yeah. When different. I when I went to the pump, I looked and it said two fifty seven. I said. Well, wait a minute here. Well, you know, the price was lower. I'm just using that as a Right, sure, yeah. But it's like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And when I went inside, they go, hey, what is this? Your sign says 246. Oh, well, here, they handed me this sheet. Well, what the hell is this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's false advertising. You're just doing that to get the people in because you're showing a lower price than anybody else. Right, yeah. Oh, no, no, that's no, no. Well, I'm sorry. It is. <laughs> well, no. It, right. Thank, exactly. And, and again, it, it's just I, I think, and, and people don't know what they're they're buying. Um, Jim in Port Washington sends me a text. He has a 2007 Electra, no more than 10 percent per owner's manual. Yeah, I do. That, that's the other thing too. Um, before you do this, um, you you want to consult your owner's manual. This is it is it's different. And if you decide you want to do it, oh, okay. Again, that that's a decision that you're making, but it it doesn't run. In all cars, and unlike, I mean, it's not like it's a diesel pump, and it's not like it's a flex fuel pump that's got a different handle. My guess is there are a lot of people who are going to the quick trip. They are filling up with this. They say it's eighty-eight percent oct the eighty-eight octane. Hey, this is great. It's a little bit cheaper, and are putting gas in their car without knowing what kind of gas they're putting in the car. And that's, um, you know, that's my only. Point. Uh, let's see. Uh, Andrew sends a text. I noticed this a couple months ago when I stopped to gas up at Quick Trip. It made me do a double take since it was cheaper, but I soon realized it was E um, 
actually E15, F15, and I bought regular gas. I can see how some consumers may be confused by it, don't know how big of a deal it is. Well, okay, like our last, uh, one of our first callers, if he puts it in and all of a sudden the check engine light is, you know, going on, I, I think that's a, that's a factor. So if you want to buy the stuff, okay, that that's fine. But be aware of what you are buying, and I do think... I don't know if I want to go as far as to say deceptive advertising, but I do think this is one, let the buyer beware. And again, why Quick Trip is pushing this as much is, I think there's a lot of different theories that are there, but by putting it all on the same pump with the same kind of handles and nozzles, I do think they are creating confusion that people don't know what it is they're buying, and if they're going to do it, they should label it a heck of a lot better. Buyer beware. It's 1022. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1025. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers open an, up an important series against the Cubs with a rescheduled night game at Wrigley. Did Major League Baseball overstep its bounds in allowing the time change? Matt Pauley isn't pleased. He explains why. Tune in tonight. Sports Central at 607. Um... Let's see. A uh, couple more thoughts on the Quick Trip thing. Mike uh, sends me a text. I've been to Quick Trip, and I immediately noticed the 88-octane product. I require premium in my vehicle, and this was the highest octane offered. I had never seen an 88-octane before, so I educated myself on what it was and whether my vehicle could accept it. I read the sign and even went inside to double-check. I had to go somewhere else in the end because my vehicle would not um, take it. Uh, let's see, another one of our texts. I noticed this almost four months ago and at Quick Trip, and I made a point to tell them that the marketing is very confusing because the light orange sticker for E15 is very similar to the color of the 10% mustard yellow color at a quick glance. Yeah, that's that, That's the, the point. Um, let's see. Um, here we have Justin who essentially says that most people aren't informed about the fuel differences. Many gas retailers aren't helping even deceiving people into thinking they're getting a better deal, it's wrong. Because, yes, it's a general rule that, that the gasoline, and maybe it's going to be different with your car, but the the higher octane gasoline, it might be cheaper. This, E80, this E15 gas with the 88 octane, it's cheaper. But chances are, I think for most people, you're not going to get as good mileage. So you're going to need to buy more gasoline regardless. So in any event, just buyer beware. All right, story yesterday. Breaking news story. We had this. We had this woman in yesterday. If you're listening to the show, um, she's a reporter for the third largest newspaper in Japan, and she was watching the show. We we actually spent an hour giving you an opportunity to give her feedback on Donald Trump. That's what we end up talking about. But we were discussing crime, and she she was listening to me talk about some of the crime stories, and her eyes were getting bigger and bigger. I said, "Wasn't there crime in Tokyo?" She said, "In Tokyo, if you lose your wallet." People pick it up, and they bring it into the local police station. Well, I said, in Milwaukee, if you get shot while you're dying on the floor of a convenience store, people go through and take your wallet. That, that's the difference. Here's the story yesterday afternoon. Guy shot washing windows at the Journal Sentinel downtown. Well, it, it turns out that it wasn't the guy who was washing the windows at the Journal Sentinel building. He, he wasn't the target. Apparently, what happens is gunfire breaks out. A car driving by starts shooting at another car. This is on, what, 4th and State. And this poor window washer happens to get hit by stray bullets 
as a result of gunfire in the middle of the afternoon in downtown Milwaukee. You can't apparently be out there washing windows because you never know when somebody is going to start shooting. This poor woman from Japan, if she saw this story, if she saw this story, you know, I'm sure she's out there thinking, okay, glad to get out of Milwaukee while I am alive. Man shot win- washing windows at the Journal Sentinel. He wasn't targeted. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. All right, maybe maybe we need to spend less attention on the streetcar and more attention on getting criminals off the street. Mayor Barrett, are you listening? Do you care? It's 1028. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers' postseason hopes could hinge on their performance over the next 72 hours on Chicago's north side. Tonight, it's game one of the crew and the Cubs in the first ever Friday night regular season ball game at Wrigley Field. Jeff and Lane begin our coverage at 630 here on WTMJ. Yeah, what, what happened is this was originally scheduled for the Chicago Cubs, who are a very, very good team. They have played fast and loose with their scheduling. Um, in order to, in my opinion, gain competitive advantages. Uh, earlier in the season, you remember the situation. The Cubs were not playing well. The Brewers were. They were scheduled to have a Saturday afternoon game. The Cubs declared a rain out, even though there was no rain. Now, that didn't help them because they, they went on. When the game was rescheduled, they got, they got slaughtered in that game. Uh, this game was supposed to be an afternoon game. Well, the Brewers had a day off yesterday. Uh, the Cubs played last night in Pittsburgh. Um, the Cubs requested permission to move this from a day game to a night game. Clearly, they're trying to get a competitive advantage. They wanted more time to rest up, and Major League Baseball went along with it. Ah, must be nice to be a Chicago team. Um, in any event, the game is uh, on TMJ tonight. My producer, BD, and I, we, we agree that the Brewers have seven games coming up with the Cubs, starting with this three-game series. I think they've got to win six out of the seven games. He says five out of seven, but we agree that they have to... Ah, they. they if they lose if they lose all three games, I think it probably ends realistically any playoff chances. But hopefully that won't happen. Hopefully they'll sweep them. And it, it's been an erratic Brewers team because you have the same team that wins three out of four from the Washington Nationals with a decent chance to have won all four and then goes and just spits the bit when it comes to playing Cincinnati or four games lost to Pittsburgh. I guess never know what Brewers team is going to show up. Okay. Liberal heads all across the country were exploding yesterday, literally exploding. And and this is the difference. It's the difference that the presidency makes. Um, And and a lot of times people, you know, don't don't necessarily get this. It's sometimes it's the little things you may be familiar with what's called the masterpiece cake shop case. This, it started in 2012 when a small baker, runs a small bakery in Lakewood, Colorado. It's called the Masterpiece Cake Shop. He is a deeply religious man. His religion teaches him that same-sex marriage is wrong. You can agree with him. You can disagree with him. But his religion teaches him that same-sex marriage is wrong, right? So what happens is you have this couple, a a same-sex couple, David Mullins and Charlie Craig, walk into his store along with one of their mothers, and they want him, they don't want to just buy a cake. 
they want him to design and create a cake for their wedding reception. So it's not like they're walking in and saying, hey, hey, give us that sheet cake that's up there or give them, um, you know, g- give us the, the cookies that are there. They say, we want you to create a cake, a wedding cake for us. Um, they were planning to get married in Massachusetts and then have a reception back in Colorado. He says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but um, I consider myself to be a quote-unquote cake artist. He said, you know, what I do, it's my expression on these things, and I, I, I'm sorry, um, but I, I don't believe in same-sex marriage, and I just I don't choose to do this. I, I'm not refusing your business. You want to buy cookies, you want to buy bread, you want to buy other cakes, that's fine, but I'm not going to design and create a cake for this. Sorry. And by the way, he also has issues with alcohol. He, 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 won't, he won't make cakes that contain alcohol in them either. So he, he says there's lots of businesses around here which will do exactly what you want. I can refer you to all these other cake shops, but I'm not going to do it. And as a matter of fact, what happens is the couple then goes to another cake shop, they get exactly what they want, and they get it for free. They file a complaint with the Colorado Equal Rights Commission saying this guy has denied our our rights, he is refusing to serve us. Colorado has a, a law which says you can't discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation. You can't refuse them service. The argument being you can't refuse to serve um, African Americans at a lunch counter. This is the equivalent of that. It goes through the Colorado courts, and the Colorado courts were consistently fined against the cake shop owner. It then goes into the federal court. Earlier this spring, the United States Court of Appeals, or the United States Supreme Court, agreed to hear this case. And the question is whether or not the guy's legitimately held religious beliefs trump the Colorado – no, I'm saying Trump as in card games, you're playing a Trump as opposed to the president – whether the legitimately held beliefs um, supersede – the, the law that says, you know, you can't discriminate based on sexual orientation. What happened yesterday is in a reversal from the Obama administration, the Trump administration's Justice Department filed a, a brief weighing in on the side of the, the baker. What they write is, when Phillips designs and creates a custom wedding cake for a specific couple and a specific wedding, he plays an active role in enabling the ritual, and he associates himself with the celebratory message conveyed, forcing Phillips to create expression for and participate in a ceremony that violates his sincerely held religious beliefs, invades his First Amendment rights. So... Now the Trump administration, their Justice Department, saying, hey, this legitimate religious belief should trump the obligation that he has to, again, make the wedding cake. And as you might expect, uh, representatives from the the, the gay community are are just outraged, Um, you know, absolutely outraged like this. The American Civil Liberties Union said that uh, this is uh, a endorsing a constitutional right to discriminate. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I think I think illegal discrimination is appalling. I, I do. But at the same time, if you have a sincerely held religious belief, should you be able to say, look, just because I am in business, I should not be forced to violate that belief. Belief four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and I guess 
my take on this is I have always seen a distinction between refusing service. I'm not going to sell you the bread. I'm not going to sell you the donuts. I'm not going to sell you the rolls. That I, I don't think there's any justification for at all. But when they come in and you ask him to design something specifically for a, a, a ritual that violates his religious beliefs, I, I think to simply say too bad, so sad, I don't necessarily think that's true. And I don't, by the way, I don't consider this to be gay bashing or, or anything of, of the like. Um, but but does he have, again, assuming these are deeply held, sincere religious beliefs, I mean, does he have no right simply because he's in business? Clint in Bayview. Clint, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I'm a moderate conservative, and I also happen to Gay. I, uh, as much as I disagree with this guy's, this, this baker's stance, right. he has the right to do what he did. Um, especially since it's, you know, something he's creating, he's putting his name on for people like him. I'm assuming the issue, you know, becomes if I'm putting my name on it, that somehow, you know, uh, signifies that I'm endorsing. Um, this marriage, and, and, you know, I, that's not what my religious beliefs are. So right, and he's creating the cake. It's not like, it, see, I would think this would be, to me, in my mind, Clint, it's different. If he if they went in and just wanted to buy a cake that was sitting, you know, on, on the counter, and he refused to sell that to them, that, that would be one thing. I, I think that would be clearly wrong. But he's saying, hey, this is something different. They are asking me to design and create this, this cake. I am, therefore, getting actually involved in this. And, and I agree. To me, it's not whether you think the guy's right or not. But if this is a legitimately religious-held belief, how how can the government tell him you have to violate this? Right, exactly. You know, if he just kicked him out flat out, that would be wrong. But, you know, he, you know this is something uh, unique and specific. You know, he's putting the effort for it. Um, you know, I, I think this is a little bit of the far left, unfortunately, kind of harming the cause you know, for wanting mm-hmm. to be treated equally. And it's it, it just, you know, you're right. The government does not have the right to tell the small business owner that he's got to do. Now, if it were a state-owned or right. oh, absolutely. Shot, that'd be another story. But right. This guy is a small private business. Right. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. And and again, it's not like they weren't able to get cake. I mean, he said, look, there's all sorts of businesses that will will do exactly what you want them to do and will sell you the cakes. Now, the argument I get sometimes is how is this different than saying we're not going to serve African-Americans at a lunch counter? Well, to me... Nobody is arguing our religion teaches us we can't serve African-Americans at, at a lunch counter. Right? That, that's, th- this is, I think it is a different scenario because, again, I, I, look, I, I, I take no position a, a, at all. I mean, I, I don't, and I know some of you disagree with me on this, but I, I mean, I don't have a problem if I don't have a problem with same-sex marriage. But obviously, there are some religions that, that do. This is different. This is a religious objection as opposed to simply, hey, um, you know, I, I don't want African Americans here at my lunch counter. I see this as a different issue. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's ten forty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's 1050, Jeff Wagner, 620 WKMJ. This is a really confusing area of the law because the, the, the truth is you, you can discriminate uh, against people for any reason as long as it's not an illegal reason. Um, you, you, that, 
that's why you say no shoes, no shirt, no service. You can say, hey, you know, if you're coming in barefoot, we're, we're not going to serve you. Um, what are illegal reasons? Well, okay, you can't discriminate against somebody based on their, their race, for example, which is why it would be wrong, it would be illegal to say, hey, you're African-American, I'm not going to serve you in my restaurant because of that. All right, in Colorado, as in many states, they have a statute that says sexual orientation is a protected class. You can't discriminate against people because they are gay. And that's something that I, I, I don't have a problem with a, at all. But what happens when, it ta- when sexual orientation runs into people's legitimately held religious beliefs? In this case, you have this baker who says, hey, look, I just my religion teaches me same-sex marriage is wrong. All right, I, I'm, I'm not going to refuse to serve you because you're a gay couple, but if you're asking me to custom make a cake, uh, to me, that's... You know, I, I th- that in fact affects my First Amendment right because if I custom make this cake, I believe that I am endorsing this. Um, the Supreme Court's going to hear the case. The Trump administration just came down on the side of the baker. Um, we have a text: basic service of goods should never be discriminated against. One's custom work, when one's custom work is involved, a business owner should always be able to decline for any reason. Well, I don't necessarily agree i don't agree with that because i don't think you could say oh um you're an african-american couple here i'm not going to make you a cake because i don't serve black people i mean that to me would be wrong but in this particular case you have on the one hand the guy's religious sincerely held religious beliefs on the other hand you have the sexual orientation law and i mean i don't think just because he opens a business he has to give up his legitimately held religious beliefs, especially since there's all sorts of places that the people could go to get the cake, which they in fact did. Craig in Milwaukee. Craig, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I I gotta agree that it's ridiculous that the government can come in and force you to do something. I mean, artistically speaking, he, he's being commissioned for a piece. Yes. And if he doesn't feel like doing that, now they're forcing him by saying, well, they said you have to make this for me because we're gay and we have the power. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that's the way to look at it. He, it's it's not just that like they're buying something off the rack. They are commissioning him to do something which he says he views as would be an endorsement of something that would violate his religion. That's what the well, distinction is to me. My question is, I would love to see the split on the left. It'd be like me walking into a Muslim butcher shop and requiring them to do a pig roast for me. Yes, I right. I mean, right. Thanks, thanks it's for calling. Um, yeah, or, their their religious beliefs to service. I mean, how well, can the government force that? I well, just don't get it. Well, right, Craig. Or, or let me give you maybe. Let me give you an example. Maybe a, a little bit more on, on. Well, actually, we have a text here that makes this point. Um, it goes on and says, I think it was just a setup by the gay couple and some kind of assault on Christianity. I have a feeling the same couple would not go to a Muslim bakery and demand to create, design a specific cake for them. Or here's an interesting point. Or would they go to an Orthodox Jewish bakery and demand that they deliver it on Saturday, for instance? Um, you know, that that's an interesting point. Okay, if you go to an Orthodox Jewish bakery, uh, rest, let's, say, let's say you go to an you go to uh, an Orthodox Jewish delicatessen. 
um, and you know they do catering, and you say, okay, my my wedding reception is on Friday night, and they say, well, okay, we we, we observe the Sabbath, you know, we we don't we don't deliver stuff. Well, you're wait a second, you know, I I have a right now. Again, it gets a little more complicated because I I don't know that you have a. And you don't have necessarily a constitutionally protected right just because you want to have a wedding on Friday night. That doesn't necessarily make you a protected class. So it's a little bit different. But but still, at the same time, again, I, I take this position without without again saying I agree with the guy's position. I, I think most most bakers in that area would be happy for the business. And I do wonder, you know, did this. Did this gay couple and the mother of one of the, the guys, did they operate in good faith? Or was this an effort to try to set up this particular baker? Because the truth of the matter is, and he was willing to direct them to other bakeries that would make exactly the kind of cake that they wanted. But, you know, that wasn't good enough. They wanted to take him up to court. The Supreme Court's going to hear this case in the next couple months. I don't. I don't know exactly how it's going to come down, but you, this is going to be another one of these cases that defines the limits of religious liberty. I would not be surprised if the court carves out an exception. And in my case, in my position, I, I think that that would be, under these circumstances, good. we got a lot of stuff left to talk about on the program. Don't go anywhere. It's 1056. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108. This is Jeff Wagner. So BD, who is producing. Matter of fact, I still get a number of emails. People asking, what happened to Hondo? Hondo is actually, he is right across the hall from where we sit. He's um, taken over new responsibilities. I I don't know if it's a, well, I, I, I miss him dearly. Glad to have the big dog producing the show, but it's it's sort of a promotion for him. And he's handling, he's taking care of producing all the commercials that you hear on the air. And I, I interact with him on a daily basis. He cuts all my promos and things like that still. So for anybody wondering what happened to former producer Hondo, that, that's it. Um, I, I just, I, I have a, I have a headache. <laughs> and, and then every time I turn around, I might, there, there's stuff that's just, Aggravating my headache. This is this is the latest story about this. One of the most truly ridiculous, insane ideas. And actually, let me be broader. Around southeastern Wisconsin, many of the most ridiculous, insane ideas involve trying to take federal money and spending it on stupid forms of mass transportation. Not not doing things that make it easier for people to drive cars to drive cars, but rather, we'll talk about the trolley in just a second. But but here's the latest: um, if it's possible to have any idea that is dumber than Tom Barrett's trolley, it is this plan. This was cooked up by the bus system to tear up lanes of traffic along Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound Road to run a quote-unquote rapid transit bus between downtown and the medical college. All right, now, so, matter of fact, even even the city council, uh, the Milwaukee Common Council, recognized that, hey, that this plan is going to absolutely devastate traffic and businesses along Blue Mound Road, so we want to pull this back. So I, I bring this up because... There's a new press release out today from the bus company. 
Milwaukee County Transit submits updated application for bus rapid transit. Milwaukee County and the bus system submitted an updated grant to the Federal Transit Administration. See, they, they want federal taxpayers to give them upwards of $50 million to tear up the road to create the, these lanes so buses can get out to the medical college a little bit faster. But here's here's what drives me particularly nuts about this. If you believe what they are saying, well, I, I, my advice is just make sure you tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. Here's what they say. If we tear up the roadway, if we spend $50 million to do this, the service is expected to save up to 16 minutes a day for riders taking the bus round trip. Okay, so that means one way is eight minutes. We are going to spend $50 million, tear up the roads, inconvenience a ton of people to knock eight minutes off a trip from downtown out to the medical college or vice versa. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. All right. Um, What they then say, and this is, I, I, I love, this is how you lie with statistics. I mean, it's true, but it's true. This is the press release. Thanks to bus rapid transit, riders traveling the full corridor could save more than 60 hours on their commute each year. That's twice a day, 52 weeks or 50 weeks a year. Then they go on. With increased speed and reliability comes more transit users. More than 9,500 riders are projected to use the East-West BRT every weekday by 2035, a 31% increase over current bus systems. All right, more than 9,500 riders are projected to use it. So you're going to... You are going to tear up the roads, spend $50 million, make it incredibly inconvenient for people to drive cars, kill businesses along the way, create unsafe situations, because 18 years from now, you, you might have it up to 9,500 riders. This is one of the biggest, biggest white elephants imaginable. Now, again, the good news for this is that in order for it to happen, um, they need to get $50 million, most of which would come from the federal government. But, 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 20% would come from the county level. So, first of all, you got to get the 80%. So they're looking for $40 million bucks from the federal government. If there's anybody in the federal government... Again, you. I mean, maybe this is something that the Obama administration would have embraced, throwing stupid money after stupid projects. My, my hope is that the Trump administration is not going to get guppied into something like this. So if the federal government doesn't fund it, it doesn't happen. If the federal government funds it, then Milwaukee County's got to figure out how to come up with Again, $10 million to do this. The Milwaukee Common Council has reservations. Uh, the bus company it is still out there, try, and the county are still out there trying to you know, sell this. Hopefully it's going to be going nowhere. Um, a lot of blowback to this. On top of this, the way you get the increased ridership, let's just be honest, the way you get the increased ridership is they are hoping to make it so difficult for people to be able to drive this route that you have no choice but to take your automobile. So let, let's think about this. Right now, expansion of the east-west freeway between the Marquette Interchange and the Zoo Interchange is on hold. So you've got cars there. 
the major what is the major alternative route to get either from say Brookfield downtown or vice versa when the freeway is a mess well you get off the freeway and you go down Blue Mount or you go down Wisconsin Avenue well this is going to take lanes away from that for a bus that'll save you eight minutes and cost 50 million dollars I understand the master plan by Abley and the bus company is to make it so difficult for people to drive that you'll simply get frustrated and get out of your cars well that the, the reality is, in the real world, that is not going to happen. This is a staggeringly bad idea. Hopefully, it's not going to get off the ground. Even some local politicians are starting to have second thoughts. But if the federal government simply does what it should do, take the advice that Nancy Reagan gave to drug users back in the 80, 80s and just say no, that will work out. All right, when we come back... We're going to talk about one of the other staggeringly stupid ideas when it comes to mass transportation around here. Is the trolley ever going to be expanded throughout Milwaukee? Stick around. It's 1115. This is Jeff Wagner. 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Okay, our text line. Mary from Tosa. I spent 78 days at Freighter last year. I regularly ask doctors and nurses. Almost all of them live in the suburbs. They're, they're not taking this bus line to and from work, which, again, raises this, raises this question about who actually is going to be the ridership of it. I mean, I, look, a year or two ago, everybody knows my situation. I spent a lot of time out at Freighter with my, my late wife getting cancer treatments. We were out there all the time. All right, what, what am I going to do? I live in the North Shore. I mean, seriously, am I going to drive my car to somewhere in downtown Milwaukee? Park it, Lord knows where, hop on a bus to drive out to Freighter to simply save eight minutes? I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll spend more than eight minutes just trying to find a parking space for for the car, much less then you take, you know, in, in this case, you, you take the patient, you put them on a city bus, and you head out there. Nobody is going, I don't want to say nobody, No, very few people, as a practical matter, are going to ride this silly Thing. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Ken from Greendale, BD, he's just made my made my week. Jeff, how do you do it? How do you take my thoughts out of my head and speak them on the radio when these topics come up? Absolutely. Great minds think alike, Ken. Because, again, anybody with the sense that God gave a goose knows that this is a stupid, capital S, stupid idea um, that is... It's anti-car. If, if Look, if, if we want to figure out ways to get people where they need to go, what we need to do is we need to spend money fixing the roadways and, and encouraging people. Let's make it easier for people to drive cars, not make it more difficult for people to drive cars. All right. All right. As long as we're talking about stupid ideas when it comes to mass transit, as I have said before, and, and I think this is the, the best example I can give, 20 years from now, if Martians land in Cathedral Square Park and find out that we spent $120 million, we have torn up the streets of Milwaukee. You try driving in downtown Milwaukee, east of the river now, all to put in a yuppie people mover, a trolley that will run like 2.1 miles to hook the Lower East Side up to the bus depot. The Martians will look at each other, shake their heads, and leave, convinced that there's no intelligent life on the planet, or at least in, in Milwaukee. But, but Tom Barrett somehow was able to get a majority of the Common Council to go along with spending this various money, and now the streets are all torn up, and you're going to have the 1.9 or 2.1-mile trolley line that's going to go in. 
the reality is very few people are going to ride this. We are spending all this money. We're spending over $120 million to essentially allow some yuppies on the east side who want to drink and go to Water Street the ability to do that at other taxpayers' expense. That's what this is largely going to be, a, a young, drunken, yuppie people mover. That, that's it. Now, it's not going to have a lot of ridership. And I think the mayor, and who knows if this is his last term or not, uh, I think the mayor is going to understand that. And he's made no secret that this is the, what's the phrase they use? This is the camel trying to get its nose, you know, under the flap of the tent. Um, it's not going to have much ridership. And the argument we are going to get is that what we're going to do, the argument we're going to get is what we need to do is, nobody's riding this. So what we need to do is get ridership is nobody's riding it because it doesn't go anywhere that people want to go. So what we need to do is we need to expand this throughout the city. If we're going to get ridership, what we need to do is we need to take it from the bus depot, run it out Wisconsin Avenue to Marquette, run it however we're going to run it along Canal Street or whatever to get it to Miller Park, run it to the new Bucks Arena, run it up to UWM, run it to the airport, you know, whatever. That's what the argument is going to be. If the trolley is going to work, we need to do all this. Well, all right, to do all this, keep in mind this first little stretch concentrated in downtown Milwaukee is going to cost somewhere north of $100 million. To expand this line like they're talking about, I mean, if $100 million for 1.9 miles, is it unrealistic to say $500 million? A billion dollars to put this all over? Now, the legislature has made it very clear and in the the bill that just came out of joint finance that you you can't use tiff money tax incremental financing district money to operate the thing by the way um it, it's everybody acknowledges this is going to operate at a huge loss a, as well so you can't use it to do that um they've also put restrictions you can't take state transportation funding and and use it to do this um it is the dream of the mayor to expand this throughout the city of Milwaukee. And one of the reasons I think they were able to get this through the Common Council, because, um, let's face it, outside of the alderman that represents the immediate downtown area, this doesn't do anybody any good. I mean, if you live in the northwest side or you live on the southwest side or you live um, in the central city, I mean, this this doesn't help you at all. You're not going to be riding this. But one of the reasons that they got some aldermen to vote for it is they said, well, I tell you what, once we build this, then we're going to turn around and, and we'll build extensions of this that might come into your community. And so some people, again, proving that if you wave that sack of magic beans, somebody will always be out there to buy into it, um, that they agree to do this. Well, all right, we're going to get this built. So now my question is, should we come up with hundreds of millions of dollars more to try to, I don't know, expand this? Would it be worth spending a billion dollars to put a trolley in? Would it be worth spending $500 million to put a trolley in? And again, lest anybody think I'm overreacting, it's $100 million simply to build a 2.1-mile trolley line along a designated area downtown. Can you imagine how much it would be to, again, run it to the Bradley Center, or to run it to UWM. 414-799-1620. Will the trolley system ever expand, or is this going to be the giant white elephant? 414-799-1620. I vote giant white elephant. 
we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1124. 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, you're an old coot. The trolley will be a big hit with the millennials, and you will eat crow. Forward thinking is not a crime. No, forward thinking is not a crime, but stupid ideas are not to be rewarded. Yeah, I understand there, there will be a handful of yuppies on the Lower East Side who will say, hey, the trolley is great. I want to go out Friday night. I don't have to walk an extra six blocks to get to Water Street to drink. Okay, that's great. We're spending, 50, we're spending over $100 million. Seriously, 414-799-1620. Mike on the east side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Um, first off, I'm old enough to remember as a kid the old streetcars. <laughs> and one of the funny things that I saw was them ripping out the old streetcar tracks a couple blocks from my house <laughs> so they could put the new ones in. Yeah, there and, is an irony to that, isn't there? <laughs> it, it, it's hilarious. But right now... There's a couple of things I got to say. One, what does a streetcar do better than a bus? Nothing. Nothing. What What does a bus do better than a streetcar? Everything. Right. We had a water main break a couple of years ago on Brady and Farwell. They closed Farwell. What would a streetcar do running down Farwell like they used to use years ago? Well, he would sit there. Right. And the bus would turn the corner. Now the best part, though, is if we... Right now, today, as far as we've progressed, stopped production of this streetcar, we'd be money ahead from where we'll be tomorrow. And if we wait until it's finished and we stop, we'll be more money ahead than we will be the month after that. Okay, so look into your crystal ball. Do you think Barrett's ever, and and let's face it, Barrett is closer to the end of his term than the beginning, the the end of his career than the beginning. Do you think this is ever going to be expanded at the cost of hundreds of millions of dollars throughout the city? Do you think it's ever going to grow? Well, there's going to be a faction that will want it to uh, get bigger because it's absolutely useless right now. And, but the problem is, once again, it's, it's, of, of something that doesn't belong in our city and will only lose money. And, yep. and it's... No, no it's thanks not, for No, you're, you're with us, Mike. You're absolutely right. Let's go, I want to get a couple more in text, our text lines. Instead of wasting money on transportation for overprivileged college students on a trolley that no one will ride, why not make dedicated bus uh, lines to Kenosha and Racine for jobs at Amazon or Foxconn? Well, yeah, that would be kind of interesting. If you really cared about improving the, the, the city... Maybe, and this has been my point all along with the Democrats who've routinely opposed Foxconn, maybe if you're a Milwaukee Democrat, what you should be trying to do is figure out how can we get our our constituents into some of the jobs that are going to be operated at Foxconn. Rocky says, this is a major fail. You heard it here first. Well, yeah, um, th- there, there's no question about it. It's going to be a major fail. Look at all the transportation issues we have. The zoo interchange getting put on, on hold. Um, expansion of the east-west corridor for something that people really need because they're driving cars being put on hold. And now we're talking about, well, we, we want to expand this trolley system all throughout the city. Here is my prediction. It's never going to happen. This is Tom's trolley folly. It will be the white elephant. I don't know how long they'll continue to maintain it, but this idea that it's going to expand throughout the city, I'll believe it when I see it. The weekend Review is coming up. It's 1130. <laughs> 
It is 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is the time of the week. It is the Week in Review. We are joined, I am joined, as always, by Susie Falk, Falk Group PR, Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors, and lest I forget, if you want to see what we all look like and what the studio looks like, we live stream this Facebook Live, so you go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you, you can you can see it all. Ladies, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right, a uh, lot of stuff to cover. Let's get started. Um, Hurricane Irma heading for Florida. Now, Susie, I was thinking of you because your mm-hmm. parents, you, right. your parents have a place in that area. What? How? Yeah, how I talked what to are they mom doing? last night. Well, she's up in Spooner, Wisconsin. Thank goodness. But uh, their neighbors are clearing out, and the thing is, they live twenty miles inland, so they're on the Gulf side near Tampa. And when they bought the place years ago, I thought they were nuts to not live closer to the beach. And now I'm thinking maybe that was a pretty good move. So, um, but seriously, sun. City Center and inland, they're 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 clearing out. Not everybody, but 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 many of them. I do think those people that aren't leaving are. You know, I used to think they were nuts, and I actually did a little research on why people don't leave in a hurricane. And it, there's a lot of reasons. You know, they don't want to leave a pet behind. They can't afford to go anywhere. They've got to take care of people who are disabled. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it just breaks my heart because you know lives are going to be lost. Well, and isn't there a mandatory evacuation there for is. for many parts? And I think the, what. This situation, local officials, the governor is saying, "Get out! This is right. this is bad." And because of right. the geography of, of Florida, this is this is bad. And this is what the the storm of of the century. Mm. And on the heels of of Harvey, this is so hard to believe. But and then you got another one that's forming yeah. out in, in the Atlantic too. Well, they one are. thing I noticed, and we we're talking about the evacuation efforts, and there were there were many stations covering that this morning. Um, they were they were, they obviously have a plan, right? Florida's been through this before. They've got a plan many of the individuals many of the towns they've got a plan interesting thing though um when they talk about access to fuel right because a lot of these deaths happen when people like their their cars so they get stuck on the highways right yeah Yeah. so so what they have is they have both lanes open so Mm -hmm. that people can actually kind of go into to to the not the eye of the storm so that they can deliver gas and food and um things like that to help make sure that people can have that on their way out Oh, what you're saying is both because a lot of times with the evacuations, they'll they'll just they'll convert the whole like, yep. the freeway so everybody goes northbound. You're saying that they're not doing that quite yet. Well, in some of the areas, yeah, yeah. because uh, if you run out of fuel, and that that's one of the problems. And and you talked about reasons why people stay. One of the reasons I would guess is because people don't have access right. to the fuel. A lot of these gas stations run out of run out of fuel. Right. And I think you heard that in Houston too, yep. and anywhere where there's yeah. a disaster. So um, they've got a plan. And it's I think, on I a think grand scale. Florida's as prepared as, as any state could be. I think, you know, the lessons learned from their, their recent hurricane, which was, what, tw- two th- tw- 2005, I think, is when a big one hit, and that was really expensive. And, you know, lessons learned. Um, it, it won't be... It, obviously, there are going to be a lot of hiccups and problems, and unfortunately, it's going to be probably a decade or more before, before it's rebuilt. Should this make it less likely that people right right now people continue to flock towards the the south and towards the coast Mm -hmm. and so now you've seen what happened in houston fourth largest city in the country you're you're looking at this heading for for florida should something like this make people rethink the decision to want to move 
for example, to areas along the coast like that? Absolutely not. It will never change. <laughs> Look at California. I, I don't think their population is declining, and they're about to... Yeah. <laughs> they could right. fall off the face, right? If you have insurance and you know you've got the wherewithal and the money to go stay someplace for a week, you know, and you're prepared to rebuild, I think people are still going to flock it, to the coast. It'd be like them saying, you know, what? they have tornadoes there, right. they have snow there, all these people die in right. these storms. Like, okay. how, are you crazy? Well, then let me ask you the other question based on something Susie just said. She said, if you have insurance, the, the federal flood insurance mm-hmm. program is billions and billions of dollars in the hole. What happens is all the rest of us through our taxes, are supporting um, the people that live in those areas because they're not. if they had to pay what insurance would really cost given the risk, right. it, it would be prohibitive. Right. So all of the rest of us are underwriting flood insurance for people who live in these areas. Does that need to change? Well, I think that they need to reauthorize the, the flood insurance programs. I think there, there are a lot of flaws with many of the programs. It's actually a, a program that the realtors are very, very in support of. We have a huge call to action to reauthorize the flood insurance program. Um, yes, it's very expensive. Well, well okay. Well, yeah, I, well, I understand why the realtors want that, because if people, if, if there's not that insurance, sure, people can't afford to live there, so that affects it, the realtors. I, but in terms of, uh, you know, any type of insurance, there's going to be, I think, insurance is in place that it isn't abused and I think you hear instances of it being abused you know they don't give flood insurance to you know areas that are in flood plains or it's modified in some ways so you know I think obviously everything needs to be thought through but I don't think you can penalize an entire state and say that you're not going to offer insurance because there's a risk of, of flood happening now you do know that if it happens multiple times yeah, that it becomes uninsurable, mm-hmm. and so I, I think those are those outstanding incidences. So, well, I mean, you even see that locally. I mean, there, there are areas around here that flood every mm-hmm. single. They don't get flooded. River they can't, you can't build there, or if you yeah. build there, it's on well, your but own they do, expense. Well, right, but that, but right now they do get flood insurance, so you would at least support some change like that, right? Susie? You know, I think that the insurance um, industry will have to take a big look at at the situation because these hurricanes are just going to increase in number and intensity, unfortunately. And I do believe this is because of, no, I know this is because of um, global warming. And we can talk about that on on another show. That's Susie Falk on global warming. Come on. All right. Please, just research it. Go out there, interview a meteorologist, a scientist. <laughs> our, our there pro- is global our, warming. Our, our, our producer, there. Scott, behind you, who's also probably okay. on Facebook, he, he just gave you one of those, like, hands up that in the air happened. type oh, of okay. thing. Right? Well, that, see, that's why if you watch this on Facebook Live, you get to see this stuff going on. When Katrina hit, you know what? We we said there were there would be more of these, and there will be. And there's Jose behind this one, and it's just, it's nasty. And Yeah, but Katrina was 12 years ago. In 12 years ago, they said, just expect the frequency. And the, it's been the, 12 years. Oh, 12 years. Is not, well, I know, considering the size of it, if you look back on when the last huge disaster was, well, but, it wasn't that long ago. No, but actually, this is one of the longest gaps in, in history between hurricanes hitting Okay, Florida. when the third one hits and there's yeah. devastation and, you know, Milwaukee's crowded because of these people that have flocked from the southern states, you know, okay. you'll And, you know, I'm kind of glad to be living in Milwaukee right now. I will say there's a lot of reasons why I like to live here, and this is uh, definitely one of them. <laughs> Yeah, but the, the 300 days out of the year, it's a lot colder. <laughs> oh, I love winter. Bring it <laughs> well, on. in any event, I, I, think, I love Florida. I, I think we'll all. I, I My do hair too. Goes I, out. I, I, so. I absolutely, and I, I hope this is one of these things where you hope that the forecasters are wrong, and it takes a right turn and stays mm-hmm. out into the Atlantic. Um, it, it is, and you hope this one behind it doesn't develop at all because it's a. It this does look like a, a significant one. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, um, Ed Flynn modifies his chase policy. 
huge Trump critic, Susie Falk. Well, he went over to the other <laughs> side this week. We're going to talk about that. And, Tracy, something near and dear to your heart, um, the I-94 project between Marquette and the Zoo Interchange gets stalled. That's all coming up on the Week in Review. It's 1142. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're talking about it's the Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk, glad to have you ladies with us. Okay, all right, let's talk Trump for a minute. Susie, I know you love to do that every week. This week, (laughs) this week, President Trump cuts a deal with Democrats on increasing the debt ceiling. Paul Ryan is at a photo op. He looks absolutely stunned. And now, if you listen to President Trump, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have become two of his very best friends. All right, is this is is this the start of something different? What what happened here? Well, I think Donald Trump got frustrated with the Republicans, his quote unquote party. Um, I think he's in a bit of a war with with Ryan and um, I, McConnell, and I think that he is looking to get stuff done and i think he's actually i will say this he's looked very presidential this last week um visiting uh the horrible situation down in texas and he's got his eye on florida and he realizes that in order for us to take care of our own we're going to have to raise the debt ceiling the democrats were supportive of it nancy pelosi and um our friend in the senate decides to talk with him he's agreeing to talk with them and you know what donald trump is donald trump and he will do things that he wants to do and he really doesn't care how it looks as long as his base is behind him and his <laughs> base wants to see this happen and his base is pissed at the traditional well, republicans that, that's the question yeah. that's the question tracy is, is his base behind him i mean raising the debt yeah. ceiling that's been one of the huge issues we got to control spending and if you keep raising the debt ceiling that's just borrowing on the credit card well and when you when you couple that with hurricane relief funding it gets easier to do i think everybody right. has thought that we would raise the debt ceiling we have to raise the debt ceiling because as we've talked about before Unlike in Wisconsin, when you when the year comes to a close and you don't have a budget, it shuts down. And I think this was a I don't want to say it was a convenient way of of keeping, you know, keeping the the store open. But I think it worked out. I I actually applaud him for making this decision. You know why? The Democrats, I I don't care if it's Nancy Pelosi, if it's a if it's a liberal Democrat or a moderate Democrat, they're all Democrats and they all stick together. So I think if he um, can get some Democrats on his side, I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Well, well, because unlike that, the Republicans... But will that work? Will, but will yes. that work? Okay, well, for, for example, um, when he flew to North Dakota this week, he had the, the woman, whose name is escaping me right now, who's mm-hmm. a very vulnerable U.S. Senator, Democrat from North Dakota. He was he was talking her up. Um, sure. Is that, is, is that uh, essentially cutting off the Republicans at their knees. You know, I, I think it's, you know, we look at it and we analyze it like, oh, he's trying to, you know, be really, you know, manipulative and all of that. I think he's saying, you know what, guys, I, I tried. I tried. You guys can't get yourselves yeah. in order. You can't line up so and support the party. On Republicans on other things. I do believe that he <sighs> he will. If you look at it from the standpoint of trying to be political, I think what he has an opportunity to do here and show is that he's going to make decisions that are good for the country and in the decisions that are not necessarily the low-hanging fruit, but the ones where he can make progress. Will that make Democrats love him? Then? I, I, do, okay. I do think so, because he is, he is 
moderate on a lot of yeah. things and he represents the working class and, and and i was in washington this week and it was very very interesting to hear what were, people were talking about they were talking about not only this decision with the debt ceiling but they were talking about tax reform and mm-hmm. the likelihood of that happening and and they were talking not so much politically but they were talking about practicality mm-hmm. and how do you get this done i mm-hmm. think everybody wants to get stuff done and if you got to go to the democrats go to the democrats well the other thing is you know he, donald trump likes to be liked we know that and if you look at some of our more popular politicians tommy thompson and tip o'neill they they reached out across the aisle and they build um collaborations and consensus on certain legislative issues that were important to them and i think that's why those two are externally popular among democrats and th- there are a lot of democrats who like tommy thompson and i think that donald trump is reaching across the aisle because he realizes to get stuff done, you can't I, be an us versus I, 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 them I'm sorry, mentality. Ladies, what planet are you two on? You you really think that Donald Trump is somehow going to become popular among the, the Democrats? I think he's going to be popular. He wants to get stuff done. But, he's very practical. But, he, but, but everybody agrees that you cannot get anything done with just one party. We've seen it happen because you get these these outliers. You get John McCain. You get Ted Cruz. You get people who just are going to stand for their party just to stand for their party like right. a bunch and of obstructionists well okay oh, but, but, Tracy, that, but that's like, i agree but that's like what what this, so like that's like every democrat voting against health care reform so. and 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 i think this is a situation where you're picking uh, picking your battles so to speak mm-hmm. because you know being political about this isn't going to get anything done and, and donald trump has tried this he's tried it 50 different ways and it's not working mm-hmm. so let's try so you think else. this was some like brilliant strategy as opposed to him just getting a wild hair up a certain part of his anatomy uh what <laughs> <laughs> all right yes oh, i uh, think he was strategic wow. about it and i think he was practical about it yes um i, I think it's gonna work too yes yes our producer says you just won't criticize donald trump all right <laughs> you know and all right that's okay all right but let's move on i-94 project um between the marquette and the zoo interchange uh quickly joint finance committee essentially kills that for the time being tracy bad idea well i'm disappointed in the decision of course i mean they were they were grappling with a very complicated situation and and we all kind of suspected we talked about it a lot here that they weren't going to get comprehensive transportation reform they weren't going to increase income anywhere we heard that loud and clear from the governor Um, i'm disappointed that they didn't see the economic benefit necessarily in keeping this project enumerated through uh, state financing. Um, I'm hopeful that they will change their mind. I mean, it isn't, we're not talking about, you know, a, a billion dollars here. We're talking about enumerating the project so that we can continue to receive the federal funding required mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to connect the zoo interchange and the Marquette interchange, which is unarguably the, the main corridor for transit, transportation, goods, services, supplies, all over the state and the country. But I think you, what you had happen is you had competing road projects, and yeah. this one fell fell off the, the list, unfortunately. And I, it's well, Wisconsin's a big state. You know, we're here in Milwaukee, and of course we wanted to see that project um, be at the top of the list of things to get done. But, you know, you got a lot of people voting on this, and again, Wisconsin's a big state. So we'll see what happens. Tracy, you're much better, uh, you know, well-read on this than I. But, you know, I don't like that corridor at all, and I try very hard to avoid it, but it's <laughs> pretty hard to avoid. And and um, I don't think it's going to be great for business, um, but I, I am glad that down by Kenosha Racine, we're continuing to work on that. I don't That's think you can really abandon it. My problem is I'm with Fred. I don't think you can abandon this project. It just Part of the thing is it doesn't make any sense to me to do the zoo interchange 
and then do the, the Northwest project mm-hmm. and then have this bottleneck that's there. But I mean, I understand too why they're doing it because there's all this threatened litigation. So this, this is, to your point, it's the low hanging fruit, Tracy, if you've got to take care of something. But I hope they reconsider it too. I don't think they're going to. All right, got to take a quick break. When we come back, it's the Right Stuff Awards. It is 11.54. This is the Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner with Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. Stick around. It's 11.57. Very quickly, our Right Stuff Awards, Susie Falk. I can't believe I'm saying this. Donald Trump. <laughs> Mark the tape. I know, right? I know. Mark the tape. This week, enough said. We already talked about it. Donald Trump wins my Right Stuff Award. Tracy Johnson. All right. So my Right Stuff Award goes to uh, uh, U.S. Senate candidate Lee Vukmir. I'm, like, so happy that she uh, finally put her hat in the ring. I think she's going to make an outstanding candidate and hopefully an outstanding U.S. Senator. I, she's consistent, transparent. You always know where she stands. Uh, I think she's great. Um, had her on this morning as well. My Right Stuff Award winners. Well, there's a new sheriff in town. After a number of years of controversy, love him or hate him, Sheriff David Clark is gone. And at least in the interim basis, um, until Governor Walker makes an appointment, uh, Richard Schmidt, who is a longtime veteran of the Sheriff's Department, he's taken over. And I think his message is no drama. And that's what we need in the Sheriff's Department for the foreseeable future. So he's my Right Stuff Award winner. Ladies, thank you very much. We'll do this again next Friday.